This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for September 2020. High overhead as darkness falls lies that beautiful region of the sky containing the constellations of Cygnus the Swan, Lyra the Lyre, and Aquila the Eagle. Their bright stars, Deneb and Cygnus, Vega and Lyra, and Altair and Aquila form what's called the Summer Triangle. On the Night Sky page this month, just search for Night Sky Jodrell and drop down to the Centre for Astrophysics, I put a large scale image of this region I took on August the 18th, and there's also an annotated version showing you where the constellations lie. Down to the left of Cygnus lies the square of Pegasus, four bright stars forming the square. The top left of those stars, called Alpharat, is actually Alpha Andromeda, and it's a starting point of a way to find the Andromeda galaxy. Move up one bright star, slightly to the right to the next bright star, then sharp right to a fainter star, and just beyond the same distance away, you might see with binoculars a small fuzzy glow. And that's the Andromeda galaxy. Above Andromeda lies Cassiopeia, an open W shape, and the lower right part forms a V, and that V actually also points down to the Andromeda galaxy. So some nice things to look at this month. And now the planets. Jupiter is now visible towards the south as darkness falls, and crosses the meridian, so highest in elevation, at 9.30pm BST at the start of the month, and by about 7.45pm by month's end. Its magnitude dims slightly from minus 2.6 to minus 2.4 during the month, whilst its angular size falls from 44.3 to 40.7 arc seconds. Sadly, even when due south, it will only have an elevation of about 16 degrees above the horizon, so the atmosphere will limit our views. On September the 12th, Jupiter ends its retrograde westward motion and moves eastward again across the sky. A highlight on the night sky page gives the times when the great red spot faces the Earth. Saturn follows Jupiter into the sky some 8 degrees to behind. It crosses the meridian at about 10.18 BST at the start of the month and about 8.19 by its end. Its magnitude drops slightly again from plus 0.3 to plus 0.5, whilst the angular size decreases from 18 to 17.2 arc seconds. The rings span some 40 arc seconds across, and at about 23 degrees to the line of sight, sharp well. Saturn lies in Sagittarius near the border of Capricornus. It halts its retrograde motion on the 29th of the month, and as the year progresses, becomes closer and closer to Jupiter, until on the 21st of December, they are just 0.1 degrees apart. Sadly again, its low elevation of about 16 degrees when crossing the meridian will somewhat limit our views of this most beautiful planet. Mercury is barely visible this month, lying very low above the horizon to the east of the sun at sunset. Though initially shining at magnitude minus 0.6, 
reducing to magnitude zero by month's end. Binoculars or a telescope will be needed to spot it, but please do not use them until after the sun has set. Now this is the first of two great months to observe Mars, which has its closest approach to Earth on October the 6th. Lying in Pisces, Mars can be seen towards the southeast at the start of the month, rising at 9.45pm as September begins, and two hours earlier by its end. It crosses the meridian at about 4am BST on the first of the month, and at 2am by month's end. Its magnitude will rise from minus 1.8 to minus 2.5 during the month, as its angular size increases from 18.9 to 22.4 arc seconds. It reaches an elevation of 45 degrees when due south, so amateur telescopes will be able to see features such as Sirtis Major on its surface when the seeing conditions are good. This is the best time to observe Mars for many years. Venus was at greatest elongation east on August 12th, but still dominates the pre-dawn sky, rising about three and a half hours before sunrise. It shines at magnitude minus 4.3 as September begins, dropping to minus 4.1 by month's end, whilst its angular size decreases from 19.5 to 15.6 arc seconds. But at the same time, its phase, the illuminated percentage of the disk, increases from 60% to 72%, which is why the fall in magnitude is not that great. It still reaches an elevation of about 35 degrees at sunrise. In Germany, as September begins, it passes into Cancer on the 4th and Leo on the 23rd of the month. And finally, some highlights of the month. Well, as I've said, September's a great month to view Jupiter. It will be visible throughout virtually all the hours of darkness. It lies in the southernmost part of the ecliptic in Sagittarius, and so, as I said, will only reach an elevation of about 16 degrees when crossing the meridian. An interesting observation is that the great red spot appears to be diminishing in size. At the beginning of the last century, it spanned some 40,000 kilometers across, but now appears to be only about 16,500 kilometers across less than half the size. The shrinking rate appears to be accelerating, and observations indicate that it's now reducing in size by around 580 miles per year. I wonder if it will eventually disappear. September is a good month to find Neptune. It's at opposition, and so we can see it throughout the night. It lies in Aquarius below one of the circlets of Pisces, and shines at magnitude plus 7.8, having a 2.4 arc second disk. So binoculars or a telescope will be needed to spot it under a dark sky. I hope the charts on the night sky page will help you find it. It's not so difficult as it lies close to a nice grouping of stars. Of course, a well-aligned computerized telescope will take you right there. But unless the seeing is exceptional, I expect that the dark bluish disk will not be that obvious. September is also a good month to observe the double cluster and the demon star Algol in Perseus. And again, I've given a star chart on the night sky page to find them. Algol is an eclipsing binary system. Normally, the pair has a steady magnitude of 2.2, but every 2.86 days, this briefly drops to magnitude 3.4.
Again in September, I've shown on a star chart how to find a nice globular cluster M13 in Hercules and what's called a double-double star in Lyra. It's Epsilon Lyra, but actually two stars, Epsilon 1 Lyra, Epsilon 2 Lyra. With binoculars, you can see the fact there's a pair. But when observed with a telescope, when the scene is good, each of these stars is revealed to be a double star, hence the name. Before dawn on September the 14th, Venus will lie below a thin crescent moon. And on September the 25th, in the late evening, Saturn and Jupiter will lie above a waxing moon just after first quarter. September the 27th is a good night to observe two great lunar craters, Tycho and Copernicus, and that's because the terminator is quite close. Tycho is towards the bottom of the moon in a densely cratered area called the Southern Lunar Highlands. It is a relatively young crater, about 108 million years old. It has a diameter of 85 kilometers and is nearly 5 kilometers deep. At full moon, the rays of material that were ejected when it was formed can be seen arcing across the lunar surface. Copernicus, on the other hand, is around 800 million years old and lies in the eastern Oceanus Procolarum, beyond the end of the Apennine mountain chain. It is 93 kilometers wide and nearly 4 kilometers deep, and is a classic terrace crater. Both can be seen with binoculars, but make lovely sights in a small telescope. Now I'm sorry the audio is perhaps not as good as it used to be. We're having to do some odd things during lockdown, but I hope you've learned something about the sky that you can observe this month. And thanks for that, Ian. So for our listeners in the Southern Hemisphere, here's Haritina Mogoshanu and Samuel Lesk. Kia ora from New Zealand. I'm Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Sam Leski. And together we are going to talk about September and what we do with it, what the sun is up to, when is the moon in the sky, what's in the Milky Way, Orion and Scorpius as they're on opposite parts of the galaxy, and what are the brightest stars visible at night, after sunset obviously, and finally find out our favorite binocular and telescope objects. September comes from the Latin word septum, which means seven. In the old Roman calendar, it was the seventh month, rather than the ninth as it is today, counting from March, which was considered the beginning of the year. Traditionally, September is linked to harvest in the Northern Hemisphere, as it was the month of harvest. From apples to grapes, most autumn fruits were getting ripe then. The harvest of the grapes was always a good reason to celebrate. The overarching deities this month were in charge of, obviously, agriculture and abundance. Since the 10th century BC, that's 12,000 years ago, Babylonian goddess Shala and her ear of grain, now the star Spica, which actually the name Spica, that's exactly what it means, ear of grain, they were associated with fertility and she was ruling the sky in September. The early Greek observed Demeter, their goddess of wheat and agriculture, and the Romans Ceres, or Ceres, who was also the counterpart of Demeter. So it was the same theme repeating, which was related to harvest. Of course, here in the Southern Hemisphere, none of these happen, and in September, all the flowers are in bloom. It's interesting to note that the corresponding stars for these constellations are, at this time of the year, very close to the sun. Thus, we cannot actually see them, 
and they are best visible six months later when they reach the highest position in the sky. If we look at the zodiacal constellations where the Sun lays in September, the Sun transits through Leo until the 17th when it moves into Virgo, where it stays until October the 31st. The zodiacal constellations are those stars visible behind the plane of our solar system, about 8 degrees each side of the ecliptic. They form a band in the sky called the zodiacal band. So the ecliptic is an imaginary line that marks the path of the sun in the sky as it moves against the background stars from the zodiacal band. The sun in Virgo then means only one thing opposite the sun that's 180 degrees on the other side of the zodiacal band is pisces pisces will rise just after sunset and will be visible all night long september is also when we celebrate the equinox when the day is equal to the night equinox is the moment in time when the projection of Earth's equator onto the celestial sphere that's also known as the celestial equator passes through the geometric center of the sun's disk. As seen from Earth at equinox, the center of the visible sun will be directly above the equator. When you look on a map, you will see the celestial equator, which is an imaginary line, obviously, that will cross over the ecliptic, another imaginary line. The September equinox and the March equinox are the only two days in the year when the sun actually rises from exactly the east and sets in the west. Before Stonehenge Aotearoa was built here in New Zealand, the team wanted to make sure that it was perfectly aligned to our particular geographical coordinates here, and they measured the rising points of the sun at solstices and equinoxes and of the stars as seen from a point that is now the centre of the hinge. These points are now marked by pillars called the hillstones. Māori of New Zealand explained that by saying that the sun Tamanuitera had two wives, Hina Raumati in summer and Hina Takurua in winter. At solstices, the rising point of the sun seems to move very slowly on the horizon, whereas equinoxes, it is very fast. After September equinox, seen from the Earth, the sun will now lean towards the southern part of the sky. For us, it will appear higher and higher in the sky. Seen from space, the south pole will lean towards the sun, receiving more sunlight, which will warm the atmosphere up. The first point of Libra. These fancy words are naming the point on the celestial map where, from Earth, it looks like the sun shifts celestial hemispheres. As the sun is changing its position in relation to the background stars every day, the two main lines you will find on the celestial map, the celestial equator and the ecliptic, cross over at the equinoxes. 2,000 years ago, the September crossover occurred in the constellation Libra. Due to Earth's wobble, which has a spinning top movement, the crossover happens now in Virgo. Astronomers, however, kept the first point in Libra as the name for the September equinox. In 400 years from now, it'll be in Leo. By the way, this is the same reason why the time when the sun is in any particular zodiacal constellation shifted back with almost a month. Two. So the equinox is only a moment in time as Earth continuously moves as it orbits around the sun. So, what's the sun up to? The sun rises at 6.42am on the first day of September and earlier and earlier every day so that on the 26th of September it will rise at 6am. 
However, the clock will shift by one hour on the night on the 26th of September. So on the 27th of September, the sun will rise at 6.58 a.m., almost 7 o'clock. The sun sets at 5.53 p.m., almost 6 o'clock, on 1st of September, and later at 7.22 p.m. on the 30th of September. That's quite a lot of change. According to timeanddate.com, September equinox in Wellington is on Wednesday the 23rd of September at 1.30 a.m. As the month goes, the days will be longer than the nights until we reach the summer solstice. Since the equinoxes only occur twice a year, then they are very special astronomical events. In New Zealand, spring begins off the 1st of September. Since 1870s, New Zealand used the meteorological dates to mark the beginning of spring. Thus, spring begins here on the 1st of September. But people who came here from the Northern Hemisphere usually think that spring begins at the autumnal equinox, which, by the way, is the 3rd of September. But just for the sake of argument, according to Weatherwatch, Managing Director Philip Duncan, there are actually four ways to start a season. The first way is looking at the astronomical dates, which would place the date on September the 22nd or 23rd, based on the equinox. By metrological dates, this is the second method, which is a three-month division of the year into seasons. Thus, spring starts on September 1, which is the one I know of. Anyway, the third way of figuring out the seasons is observing the solar winter, which is the three darkest months, with the June 21st-22nd winter solstice in the middle, which shifts the beginning of spring to August the 8th. And the last method, looking at what nature does, which in New Zealand is hard to pin down. But, you know, today is the 5th of September, and it's most certainly spring outside. So whoever decided that it was the 21st is not right for New Zealand. Speaking of the Milky Way and the ecliptic and the sun and everything else that is in that part of the sky, let's talk about the zodiacal light. In September, the asterism of Scorpius is at this time of the year the fishhook of Maui that drags the Milky Way down from the sky. And we get to admire the amazing galactic center and the Milky Way Kiwi inside it, which is fantastic and enjoy it while it lasts. But if you look towards the western horizon you can see something called the zodiacal light. It is a cone-shaped light that stretches from low on the horizon along the ecliptic. Yes, it is the ecliptic again. The zodiacal light is the light we see reflected from dust and ice particles in the plane of our own solar system. How cool is that? So in the sky, we can see both the galaxy that we inhabit and the solar system. Two objects at two completely different scales and in different parts of the sky as well. But the part of the sky where we observe the zodiacal light is where the ecliptic would be. Once you've learned where that is, you'll see it is very useful, especially at figuring out where the planets are in the sky, as they orbit around the sun in the same path, and you guessed it, on the ecliptic. But because some of their orbit planes are ever so slightly on an angle compared to Earth's, they don't match perfectly, so that's why the zodiacal band is a band of stars about 8 degrees either side of the ecliptic, and that's where the planets are visible. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Scorpius and Taurus and the Southern Cross, where exactly they are in the sky. So we've established that Scorpius is up at Zenith, on top of the sky, just lift up your head. And after sunset in September, you will see the fish hook dragging the Milky Way from Zenit 
towards the western horizon. Scorpius de Mata Maui has a magnificent red supergiant star, Antares, which here, Maori here, call it Rehua, and that's the summer wife of the sun, which means that in summertime the sun is very close to that star. In a telescope, it looks like a beautiful ruby and it is impossible to miss on a clear, dark night. It looks quite reddish and even on a light polluted sky, it is impossible to miss because it's a very, very bright star. It's reddish and sometimes planet Mars comes very close to it, which gave it the name Antares, which means the rival of Mars. Antares, it is, you guessed, one of those stars inside the zodiacal band. When Mars gets very close to Antares, the two of them rival in redness and brightness. I believe the Mars wins, but that's just because it's made of iron. Um, we took a lot of images of Antares recently with our new fantastic project, the SLU telescopes, and Antares is a really, really big star. You can see it is a star, a big one. Catspore Nebula. This one is a good astrophotography target. The butterfly cluster, or M6, which you can also see in a telescope, is an open cluster of stars. M7, also known as Ptolemy's cluster, is also an open cluster. M4, the globular cluster near Antares. NGC 6231, or Mallow 153, is a beautiful open cluster as well, which was discovered as far back as 1654 by Giovanni Hodima, who listed it as luminous in his catalogue, and it is very luminous. We're really lucky here in the Southern Hemisphere because we get to see Scorpius reaching the zenith, and of course when it does, it's dragging up all of those amazing deep sky objects so that we can see them, and we can see them here in the best possible place, which is straight up, so you're looking through the least amount of atmosphere, so to see these objects is just fantastic. South of Scorpius, you can find the constellation of Centaurus, a creature that is half human and half horse in Greek mythology. Home of Alpha, Beta and Omega Centauri. This time of year, it is very high in the sky, so in a good position to observe. There are some circumpolar objects to New Zealand. In September, in the evenings, you'll find the Southern Cross in the southwestern part of the sky, so just after sunset, it's a almost at the three o'clock position, heading down, followed by the pointers. Canopus, another circumpolar object, would be at the same time grazing the southern horizon and would be really hard to see from Wellington. Akinar and the two Magellanic clouds would be in the southeastern part of the sky. Now, on the other side of the Milky Way, it's Edge, or Orion and Taurus, which are opposite Scorpius on the celestial sphere, Orion will appear due east as Scorpius sets in the west. At this time of the year, we see it in the early morning sky. But even earlier on the eastern horizon than Orion, you will be able to see the Pleiades and the Hyades, which now rise about 1 a.m. So not too much to wait. Some other bright stars? Just after sunset, Virgo will be on the western horizon, very close to the sun. It will be visible only in the first part of the month with the beautiful star speaker sinking beyond the horizon by the middle of the month. In Libra, Zubanel Ganubi and Zubanel Shamali are the former claws of Scorpius, now the scales of justice. Some sources say that they have been chopped from Scorpius and recreated into the scale of justice at the time when the first point of Libra was in Libra, which is why Libra was created by our ancestors. 
not because they noticed that people born that time of the year were indecisive, always tried to get revenge, or were weighing their arguments carefully, but to mark one of the two equinoxes. Sagittarius has many beautiful bright stars as well, and I love the particular teapot shape that it has, which now can be seen as the constellation is also at the zenith. Nunki is our favorite star this month, also because we took a picture of it recently. And back to the Northern Hemisphere, oldies but goalies, we see just a little bit of those in the north. Um, brightest star, probably Altair in Aquila, the constellation of Ego, a triangle-shaped constellation in the northeastern skies. Lower on the northern horizon, but harder to see than Aquila because of the hills and sometimes of the clouds and, and the um, atmosphere. And mirroring somewhat Canopus, the second brightest star in the sky, which is also lower, but on the southern horizon is Vega. Vega is in the northern horizon. And Vega was nicknamed Antopus by our friend Ian Cooper. And he did that as a play of words with Antares, which means the arrival of Mars. Ian says that Vega rises low in the north when Canopus is low in the south. And they're like two rivals eyeing each other up. Another beautiful star is Albarao and Cygnus. It is a spectacular blue and red giant double. So it's not just one star. Only about 10 degrees above the horizon, the stars of Lyra, where Vega lays, also hosts a fabulous Messier object, which is really easy to see in a telescope, and that is M57, the Ring Nebula, the remnants of a star. In astronomical terms, it is a planetary nebula. Nearby, another one of its kind, remnants of another star that died in Volpecula, M27, or the Dumbbell Nebula, is another fantastic target. In fact, that's the brightest um, planetary nebula in the night sky. As they're not so good to photograph from Wellington, we're just using the telescopes from SLU, which have a prime view to these amazing objects with their telescopes in the Canary Islands. Probably the best star and one of my favourite objects in the night sky is Albarao, which we also view with SLU, just because it's too low for us to photograph here. Are the dark patches in the sky, there are many of them here in the Southern Hemisphere because we have such a dark sky. The Milky Way is really well visible at this time of the year, the center of the Milky Way. The Milky Way is visible all, all year. And you need a very dark sky to see it. The lines of dust that go through the center of the Milky Way are striking and they are the neck of a giant emu bird. That's according to our neighbors, the Aboriginal people from Australia. The other famous dark patches are the coal sack near the Southern Cross. The coal sack is known as the flounder here, which is the Maori name for it. And indeed, if you find a truly dark sky, you will see the resemblance. The coal sack is an appropriate name as well, as diamonds are sometimes found in the coal. Inside the dark patch, made of interstellar dust matter, is the jewel box, or Kappa Crucis cluster, NGC 4755, which is absolutely beautiful. And finally, let's have a quick look at the moon and the planets in September. The moon, the full moon, is on September the 2nd, last quarter on September the 10th, the new moon on September the 17th, and the first quarter on September the 24th. 
Jupiter and Saturn are of course in the sky and they've been dominating our views for so long now it's absolutely fantastic seeing those gas giants up there and you know when someone sees Saturn for the first time ever and they let out a wow that's awesome or other expletives it is always a fascinating thing to listen to and experience. Mars of course is catching up and will soon be at opposition and Venus is in the morning sky at the beginning of the month, is rising around 4.30am. So that's it from us here in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, clear skies, and all the best everyone. Clear skies. Clear skies.